Hi, you're listening to She Shield, a podcast for men and women seeking guidance on everything self-defense. I'm Grace. And I'm Sophia. Our goal is to advise and empower anyone looking to begin or further their martial arts journey. Today, we have a very special guest speaker. Today, we have Craig Douglas on the show. So thank you, Craig, for coming on to She Shield to share your wisdom. We would love for you to go ahead and introduce yourself, however you want to do that. Well, thank you, ladies, for having me on your podcast. I appreciate it. And uh I am uh, Craig Douglas. I'm a retired sheriff's deputy from South Mississippi. I had a 21-year law enforcement career, most of which was spent as a narcotics agent, a SWAT cop, or both simultaneously. I retired in 2011 to do training full-time, so this is my 11th year of doing training full-time. It's my 20th year of doing training uh, under the brand Shipworks Globally. I teach in 47 states. 11 countries outside of the U.S., four branches of the military, five federal law enforcement agencies, and I have a small standing contract within the intelligence community. So that's really about it, I guess. I spend 40-plus weeks a year on the road teaching uh, mainly niche subjects like what does a gunfight in a clincher on the ground look like? Uh, What does uh, fighting in a car look like? What does a solo structure look like? movement problem where you don't have a, you know, a SWAT team behind you that's uh, ambiguous. What does that look like? So I I spend a lot of my time in niche black swan problem areas, which kind of reflects my career track. So that's it. That's lovely. Thank you for explaining that. Yes. (laughs) We read your (laughs) bio on, from Shivworks on one of our episodes and I told Grace, I was like, it just didn't sound as good as him saying it at the class. So we're so happy for you to have said that yourself. That's so awesome. So okay, they, cool. we just have a few questions for you um, that we've kind of put together. A lot of them are female-directed, um, and uh, okay. you don't have to answer them. Like, specifically with that, you're welcome to take it however you want to. We're just so happy to have a piece of your wisdom today. So the first question we have sure. is... What would you tell a woman who is hesitant to start self-defense courses because they feel intimidated by the atmosphere? Ooh, well, I think she should probably, you know, always remember that doing things that are new are going to be uncomfortable and um, that doesn't mean it's wrong. And she should, uh, you know, stick a toe in the water, take a friend with her, you know, try and see uh, what that feels like. Um, You know, probably um, also remember that everybody, men and women, when they go to these classes, pretty much feel the same. You know, uh, no one walks into a self-defense class generally feeling confident. You know, that's not why they're there. So I I think, you know, everybody just being fairly vulnerable and and remembering that everybody there was there for a reason, that's probably – Probably the easiest way to frame it. I mean, you're you're not the only one intimidated. Everybody there was intimidated. Otherwise, they wouldn't be teaching. They wouldn't be seeking a, a self defense class. That's wonderful. That's yeah, yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Absolutely. Grace, did you want to do the next one? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so it's a question. Or it's a, something that we've talked a lot about on here. Is that women go? Like I've always suggested that women go from women's only to uh, co-ed classes if they're not comfortable starting out in the co-ed classes. And we were wondering what 
Um, from your experience, what is your opinion on women beginning self-defense classes in the women's class and then going to the co-ed's class? Well, I think it can be successful with the right person teaching a woman's only class. Um, as many times as not, I see the, the women's only classes really not being about self-defense, but being about empowerment. Um, and, you know, they, they spend a lot of time building up their confidence falsely. And I, uh, I think the worst thing you can do is be dishonest with someone as far as what their capabilities are. So I think if it's done right, uh, it's fine. But, but more often than not, especially in the case of women, I think it's done wrong. Just in my experience, watching people uh, conduct those classes. So, you know, I'm, I'm a fan of everyone training together and, you know, more than likely a woman's going to be assaulted by a man. So she needs to, she needs to have the experience training with me. Yeah. That's kind of, that's kind of what we said in the past too. Yes, absolutely. We Uh, kind of, right. We framed it kind of like a, like edging into the co-ed space after doing women's only just to get them comfortable. What would you say a good, and I know you said it's very instructor dependent, like the, um, instruction style and uh, like structure, but what would you say the timeline, a good timeline would be for someone going into women's and then transitioning? Or do you think there should just be no transition essentially? I don't think yeah. I don't think, I think that's really, you know, individual and person specific. I don't think there's a, you know, you should do a all girls self-defense class and then wait a specified amount of time before going into a, Another class. I think it just depends on the person, you know. I mean, a, a woman may go into one of those classes and decide ah, this is not for me, and not want to do anything ever again, you know. And another woman may be, I want more, you know, and I want to train against men, and and she would be ready like the next day. So I don't think there was any kind of, I don't think there's any timeline there, you know. I um, uh, I don't really think that um, I wouldn't say there was a template, you know, a best best case template for all women. I, I, I personally just don't think of women as homogenous. You know, I mean, they're very different and they're, they have different views and values and they come in all kinds of shapes and sizes. And I don't know, I think women are just as diverse and homogenous as are, or, or not homogenous as men. So, I mean, you know, in your class, Fia, you, you beat up a couple of men. <laughs> So <laughs> you're being generous. <laughs> no, I'm not. I, I mean, that's the truth. That, Thank that, you. Thank that's you. That's the truth. You know, one, yeah. I mean, no, it's the truth. I mean, you, you, you did. So did Kristen, you know, Kristen, uh, Kristen beat up a guy, you know, at one point. Yes. So I, I, yes. I can't, I can't really, you know, I, I think when, I think when you just, you know, the ethos of my business is be honest to the problem and do the work. And I think segregating people, you know, just, we don't, we don't live in a segregated society and I think you should train accordingly. So, um, yeah, no, no specific timeline or best case for a woman as far as, you know, getting into training. She, she probably needs to go and get realistic training as soon as possible from someone who's qualified and someone who can, can work her through that. 
Thank you. I absolutely love hearing that. I definitely would put my, I have two older sisters who have very limited experience in martial arts. And if they were to call and ask what, what they should do, I would definitely tell them gut reaction to go and train with in a co-ed class, like get their hands on some dudes, let their, some dudes get their, get their hands on them and make them feel uncomfortable when they're on some soft, cushy mats and not on the street with um, concrete and glass. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So mm-hmm. that's a really mm-hmm. great perspective to have. Our next question is, I mean, uh, most, uh, most, most, most Brazilian jiu-jitsu classes are co-ed, right. you yeah. know, and as far as the body contact and the, you know, the impact and everything else, I mean, uh, that's about as personal as it gets. So, you know, um, you know, when comparatively, when you look at combat sports, Versus self-defense, you know, how often is it, how often is it women's only Muay Thai or women's only BJJ? No, I mean, everybody pretty much trains with everybody else, you know? So I I don't, I don't really see it being any different than self-defense. That's a good point. I know at our gym, we had a women's only and I, I don't know. What do you think, Grace? I feel like, were you there for that? I can't remember. We, I think we would go over like one or two techniques and just spend so much time just harping on those techniques as opposed to the co-ed where I feel like we would learn five to six, get like barely any drilling time and then go right into sparring. Yeah. Kind of, kind of, I know we would do at least three techniques, whereas the women's only class is more like a private group class, which is like why I go to them because like, it's such, there's, it's such a small class that my instructor could come around and be like, Hey, you're doing that wrong. Like fix this. And also you can get this from there. And, and then she can walk me through that instead of like having to pay attention to like 20 dudes who want to rip each other's heads off. That makes a lot of sense. So use it more for like one-on-one time and specific training. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Cool. Okay. Yeah. And that kind of leads us into the next question. What type of, or what style or discipline of martial arts would you recommend women go into based on how they are most likely to be attacked? And I know that's very broad, but however you want to kind of attack that. Well, I think uh, I think any good grappling system, um, whether it's Brazilian jiu-jitsu or judo or wrestling, uh, and as you know, I'm a big fan of wrestling just because it improves posture so much and it keeps people on their feet. Um, I, I really like any kind of vertical grappling system, if you will. Mainly because it, it allows people to escape. You know, if you're if you're on the ground, you can't escape. So you have to have competence on the ground. But um, I don't think necessarily anyone in a self-defense scenario should be comfortable with being on the ground. Because I mean, the reality is you can't you can't escape, and uh, you're just so much more vulnerable to uh, a second adversary coming in. That's the bottom line. So I'm um, despite my own almost 30 year, you know, flirtation with Brazilian jiu-jitsu, I have no illusions about wanting to be on the ground. So, um, so I think a grappling system that emphasizes posture and work in the vertical plane, I think that's very necessary for all people, women included, uh, a good striking system. I think, a, a, I think Muay Thai, especially for women, uh, where they can really utilize uh, their legs, you know, and throw knees and things like that. Um, I think that's a that's a real knees and elbows in particular versus punching. 
Um, I think that's a really good idea from from the striking perspective. So I would say I would say probably BJJ and Muay Thai. And you're going to get in a good, at least traditional Thai gym. You're going to get some clinch work. It's not wrestling clinch work. Right. Um, their, their posture is not as good because they fall down all the time. They just stand people back up, and, and they, there are no consequences for takedowns in Muay Thai. You know, so um, you don't score points for that. You know, in Muay Thai. Right. So um, I, I don't think their clinch work is as. Um, you know, refined for at least for and, and translates as well as self defense, but it's a real good way to unentangle and and um, throw elbows and and kind of you know use a dirty boxing type you know um, type thing. So yeah, I, I think those two probably for women would probably be a really good you know balance. You know, one every other day, and everybody has so much time. So I mean, if a woman right. were training twice a week, you know. Uh, you know, one session in BJJ and one session in Muay Thai. I think that would be a good manageable start for the average person that isn't quite ready to look at self-defense as a lifestyle, you know, they're kind of yes. sticking their toe in the water. So mm-hmm. what would you say about Krav Maga? Well, um, I would say the crab, the best Krav Maga looks like the worst MMA. And, um, okay. you know, it's it's very all over the place as far as the quality of what you find. So, you know, I, I think just going to a good MMA gym to be quite frank, but because Krav Maga really is is a hybrid system that you know was supposed to have taken the best of combat sports and put it together. You know, when you add in maybe a little bit of knife uh, defense, you added a little bit of um, you know some of the gun disarms. You're, if you went to an MMA gym where you could do the core disciplines better, you know, you're probably 95% of what Krav Maga offers and the rest of it, to be quite frank, you could probably pick up in a, a weekend self-defense seminar, you know, as far as the gun disarms and the blade work. So, Thanks. yeah, that's uh, that's my opinion. I think most most of it, most of it can be done better by the core disciplines of MMA, where it came from. It's really interesting to hear. I've always heard there are a few places in Northwest Arkansas and a few of my instructors kind of warned me about going to those gyms um, just because of the amount of time the instructors spent getting their training. Apparently one guy, this is just all hearsay, um, but spent five months training and got his like teaching certification and opened a gym like right after that. And, um, Passed the test. Essentially. So I remember I had a few yeah. women in my undergrad years ask me about that gym. And I told them, of course, it was hearsay. I didn't really know if it was true, but um, it definitely kept me away from wanting to go there. And I invested my time in jiu-jitsu and a few of them uh, never did anything. And a few of them started jiu-jitsu, but I've always been curious about your take on that. I know a few guys at ECQC were Krav Maga enthusiasts, so just... Right. right. I, you know, and, and here's the thing in this day and age, uh, a BJJ black belt still means something. You know, when, when a person is, when a person has a BJJ black belt, they're, they're an accomplished, fairly accomplished practitioner, you know? Um, so you don't, you, you don't get a BJJ black belt in five months. You know, that's, that's a decade of work. Usually. 
for most people about about ten years worth worth hard fairly hard work, you know. So yeah, I think you know as far as how do you how do you vet someone, you know, their legitimacy. It, it's still hard to be combat sports. It really is because there's a venue and there, there's a competitive venue too. Uh, you know, where good BJJ gym has a competition team. Uh, they're, if they have an MMA component, then they're, they're probably fighting and are they winning, you know, local matches. So, I mean, you, you can find out what works and what doesn't fairly quickly, just by usually looking at the wall of medals and trophies and local competitions that they enter, you know, competition isn't a real fight, but I mean, you know, Krav Maga people aren't, you know, holding trophies up for real street fights, you know, I mean, there's right. no way to, there's no way to, 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 there's no way to vet that. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Mm-hmm. We've talked a little bit about what to look for when you're trying to find a new martial arts place, because they're not all created equally. We talk about that a lot. Um, would you want to add to that? Anything else you would look for going into a martial arts gym? Um, I would look at I would look at a combat sports gym, and I would look for two things. I would look for number one, a competition team of some type, okay, which means they're training at a high level when they're trying to win. The other thing I'd look at is I'd look to see if they have a good kids program. If they have a good kids program, more than likely they actually know how to run a business, and they're not feeding average people to fighters, you know, or fodder. So, uh, I, I think those, and I look at, you know, the, the places that look well kept or the mats clean, you know, where the restrooms look like, you know, all, all of that. Do they have restrooms? Know, do they? Right. Right. <laughs> um, you know, I, I would look at all that, but the kids program seems to be one. If they know how to run a kids program, they understand Martial arts is a business, and if they understand martial arts is a business, they should. They're, they're probably not going to take average people and 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 feed them to the animals in the cage, you know. So, I mean that that historically was the problem. Boxing gyms, you know, if you if you want to learn how to box, you know, your your options were going to some inner city gym, you know, and just having the shit kicked out of you, you know. I mean, they saw new meat you know, get fed into the ring and, uh, yeah, you were a punching bag because they knew you weren't going to compete, you know, so you're, you know, obviously they don't care about you. So, you know, it's just, and, and people would cycle in that way. So, yeah, I think those two, to me, that's what I tell people all the time. Do they have a competition team and do they have a kid's program? If they do and the place is clean and well-kept, you're probably okay. That's awesome. We're smiling. That's so interesting. We're smiling a bit because those are a few things we've talked about before. Just, I think between us, I don't think we've said that on the pod before, but yeah, no, we haven't said it on the podcast. What, um, so for people who aren't comfortable with firearms, would you recommend a taser or a stun gun as like a replacement for a firearm, um, until they get more comfortable? No. Why not? Um, tasers, the ones that are on the, the, the civilian, uh, citizen, you know, marketplace, Mm-hmm. You know, are, are, have a considerably lower pulse rate that they work at compared to a law enforcement taser. And um, I know the effectiveness of law enforcement tasers, eh, maybe. 
I don't know, 50-50 as far as, you know, um, gaining compliance. So, no, I uh, I think all those electronic shock you things that are out there, stun guns, whether they're contact or whether they fire probes, I, I, I've yet to seen. I've yet to have seen anyone, including the C2 from Taser itself, um, which is marketed by Taser for, you know, the citizen self-defense uh, world. You know, I, I wouldn't recommend it. I certainly wouldn't give one of those to someone I cared about. So I, I think, you know, especially for women, if they're not comfortable with carrying a gun, then they shouldn't carry a gun, you know, Um they want to own a gun and, and there, there are all kinds of degrees of there are people who buy guns and the gun is a, a, a rabbit's foot. It's a totem. You know, it probably, it, it, they probably never fire it and they may keep it in the box and have a box of ammunition still in the factory box and put that in the closet and say, well, if I need it, it's there, you know? Uh, and then you get some people who take it out of the box and load it and they put it in the, you know, the, the nightstand drawer, um, so it's a, you know, it's a little bit more ready. Other people might get a concealed carry license and take a class for that license, again, carrying it when they think they need it. And then you have people that, that carry infrequently and people who carry every day. So I mean, there's a whole spectrum of stuff there. But I think, uh, I think for women, you know, there, there's, there's a reason, you know, you know, the, the, I think the old adage is, you know, God made all men and Samuel Colt made all men, or made all men equal because God is great yeah. equalizer. I mean, you know, a firearm is something that, that a weak and firm, smaller person can use to actually, to actually equal the odds, you know? So I think understanding that as soon as possible and making an informed decision about, um, you know, is, is that something you want to embrace and use and try? And what's your risk reward profile? Um, that people should evaluate that quickly. They should, but lesser things like tasers, um, not so much. When you said C2, did you mean the Bolt 2 that just came out by Taser? No, I haven't seen that one. The old, okay. um, the older, I haven't seen the newest uh, citizen. Oh, taser, but but the one they used they they had a few years back was called the C two C two okay, um, and that was the uh, that was the original one. It, it fired two probes, and then it had like a thirty second thing where the theory was, you know, okay, you lay it down and you run, you know, and, and it keeps juicing the guy for thirty seconds. Uh, we we tested we tested those and and. I mean, literally walked over and turned it off, you know, so. The guy being taken. I, I don't know what the right. right. Okay. Okay. Right. That's terrifying. That is terrifying. Yeah. I mean, I, good I, don't to know. Know. I, I don't know about the latest iteration. Okay. I mean, I've been able to, I've been able to, um, I've been able to hold a rear naked choke on someone, uh, not only on a probe hit where you shot me with probes and, they they hit me with five 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 second bursts, you know, trying to see if I would let go, and I didn't. And they finally just stopped. Um, we uh, we 
we unplugged it and they um, we started doing um, you know contact shots with it. They were poking me with it, and they finally they finally made me let go. They they got me in the neck and they held it there for like six seconds. It just started burning. I let go because it was training. It was like I don't want to be marked up. But I mean, I I, I could have I could have fought through that too, you know. So right, um, you know, to just. I don't think they're, they don't, they don't produce the physiological incapacitation. I mean, they may thwart lower, you know, profile, unmotivated people. Um, hmm. But I mean, for a woman, especially, I, I, I want good physiological incapacitation, definitive physiological incapacitation. And tasers just don't have it. That's really good to I know. That. I was going to say that. I was the first taser instructor in, on the Mississippi Gulf Coast here. So, I mean, I'm, I'm very familiar with the product. With Taser, like, Inc., like the brand? Or the first Taser? Mm-hmm. Oh, wow, yeah, that's mm-hmm. okay. Yeah, okay, that's so cool to know. I did not know that. So, I think I, I, think I certified as an instructor with them in 2001, 2002, somewhere around there. So did you so, stop wow. working after you tested the products and then – Believed, stop believing in them essentially. No, we still we 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 issued them. I mean, because they they are a compliance tool and they do work. When they work, they work really well. Um, but we wanted to push and see just you know how far would they really work as gold or in a guy. You know that, that was one of the problems of pepper spray. Like back in when, when pepper spray first came came out in the nineties, the way we used to train was um you you, you know you had to get contaminated. Um, during a pepper spray certification. So what everybody would do, they would line up, they'd hose you down with pepper spray, and you'd be like, ah, you know, and just go hose <laughs> your face off. And everybody talked, everybody talked about how much it burned and how horrible it was. The stories just grew. Oh, man, wait till tomorrow, man. You're going to be on fire. And, and you know, this big myth built up, and everybody believed in pepper spray and just couldn't wait you know, for it to be used because they just were to burn up all the bad guys. Well, you know, when we saw bad guys actually fighting back and being goal-oriented and not just standing there waiting, taking it, and having nothing else to do but sit there and feel the effects of it, it's like, oh, well, it doesn't work as well. <laughs> so what, what? So the, the training started changing. What they started doing was, okay, you'd get a face full of pepper spray and you'd have to go punch a bag or hit a bag with a baton, or defend your holster handgun. Then we saw, you know, when you had other things to concentrate on besides just cooking, okay, well, you can fight through that. Okay, it's not that bad. You know, you can. It takes your vision sometimes. You know, there's some respiratory effects sometimes, but, you know, it's not nearly as bad. So, you know, the training, the way the training was conducted had a lot to do with with our belief and the the you know, effectiveness of pepper spray. Because it's all effective on us when we're doing anything but just sitting there waiting on it, you know, taking a face full, and then everybody giggling, and stumbling around trying to find the bucket. You know, I mean, it was seriously, you know, nobody, nobody really, nobody really knew what they were doing back in the day. It's like, all right, what do we do with this? Well, you got to be, you got to be exposed. You right. can't spray people on the street. You know, you, you, it's like, what do we do? We'll, I don't know. You're going to be spraying people on the street. Maybe you have to spray yourself. Okay. 
you know, uh, and, and the training was, it, and it's still, you know, a lot of the, I mean, it, I mean, it's come a good ways away from where it was at, but all that, you know, less legal training and stuff like that, but we did a lot of most, mostly just notional and silly and, you know, it got, I, I, it did get better, and I watched it get better in my law enforcement career. But still, in all that, um, yeah, all that stuff is. I do like pepper. I like a small, um, little handheld unit. Okay. Just strictly for you know taking someone's vision, I like that. Um, and and again, it's kind of the same way I teach the IJAB. It buys you time to do something else more effective, like. Punch somebody in the side of the neck, pull a gun, or haul ass. One of the three, you know. Right. And that's what I like pepper spray for. It, it buys it buys you time. You have to do something with the time, right. but it buys you time. So, and if you if so, you feel like you already answered this, feel free to just move on past it. But so for women that, Okay, I'll start with an example, I guess. So I have a friend who has been experiencing um, some issues with a former partner, and she came to me for women's self-defense work. And I had my oh shit moment probably for the first time when she asked me, I'm not really comfortable with handguns. Do you think in the meantime I could buy a taser? And I had this moment of like, do I tell her that's okay because I at least want her to have something or do I not tell her that because I'm enabling her fear of ha- of firearms, saying you don't really need a firearm, I guess you could have a taser, you know what I mean? So what would you say in that situation? In that situation, I, I would say, well, you know, um, there, it's, not, it's not an ascending, you know, scale. Okay, okay well, I'll get, I'll, I'll get comfortable with a taser. And that will allow me to get comfortable with a firearm. I'm not sure. I'm not sure it works that way, you know, because okay. they're they're really not the same thing, um, you know. Um, and and one's not a substitute for the other. I, I would say I would avoid the taser and, you know, think long and hard about um, your your decision. You know, I and, and that's the other thing too, Sophia. I I, I guess it's hard for me to. In, especially now, answer questions like that simply because by the time people get to me, they've made the decision, and and I don't I don't convince people um, that they need to protect themselves. I'm not in the business anymore. I'm I'm here for the people who've already made the decision personally. You know, if they want to uh, defend themselves. You know, what is it that motivates a person to to want to do that? Is it uh, becoming a mom? You know, that's a big one for a lot of women. They become mothers, you know, and um, all of a sudden they'll, they'll, they'll you know, there's a real desire to learn how to. Uh, th- I've seen that one with guns, especially with women who become mothers. They're like, you know, I'm vulnerable, even more vulnerable. I have this tiny human now, and uh, that's when it clicks with them. Okay. Now, now, you know, going around's over with, you know, this is no longer theoretical. I, I need to learn how to use a gun, and I'm going to start carrying a gun. They do. So, I don't know. I don't really know how to motivate someone to learn how to defend themselves. 
That's just not, that's not what I do. I'm not, I'm not in that business. I spent my career trying to convince police officers that they needed to train more realistically and more effectively. And, you know, largely for my 21 year career, um, I stayed, you know, uh, fairly frustrated, you know, at the uh, ambivalence and disinterest. So I don't know. I, I'm, I would, uh, I would, you know, I think people like Kristen, you know, who you met, I think people like her do a really good job of, of talking to women about and motivating women to, to make that next jump. But that's not really what I do. I, I have too many people at this point that have made the decision to want to learn effective self-defense. And, and those are the people I, I spend my time with, you know, I don't, I don't try and, I don't try to save the world anymore, you know, except the portion of the world that wants to save themselves and those people I'll give everything I have. Right. No, that that's really, really interesting. I'm drawing a lot of like parallels from being a personal trainer and being assigned on campus as a personal trainer that students have to go to and get a grade versus the ones that come to me and find me. It's very, I'm kind of think of it, thinking of it that way. And I feel like with this friend, for example, and a few other women that have come to me almost in that like gray area of, they know they need to protect themselves. They never really thought they would have to get into that part of their life, but they're there now. So what do they do? So they have some motivation and they come to me. Um, and this has probably happened like five, like a handful of times now. Like I would say, I don't want to like overestimate, but it's happened enough where it's made me feel uncomfortable later on, you know, before I go to bed at night thinking, Oh crap, did I tell them the right thing? They're in this vulnerable situation and they would essentially take any piece of advice I could give them. And a lot of the times I've said, honestly, I don't know, but what I would do is this. And what I would tell my sister is this, that's kind of what I, how I frame things. Um, just so they know, I, I mean it genuinely, like I think a firearm is the best way to go. Um, but there, there is this this fear sometimes I have where what if I tell them like, you know, a taser isn't like a good alternative or a good, I guess, gateway. And then they don't do anything. You know what I mean? And then maybe that taser. Yeah. Maybe, you know, that that's, that's true. I mean, I I don't know about the, the gateway thing or that the taser is, you know, maybe, Maybe, maybe it is. Um, I, I just know tasers are, are largely the ones that are out there are, are largely ineffective okay. for women um, and for anybody. And I would just say, if you're going to use something to defend yourself, being generally a, a weaker, smaller person with, with less physical attributes, less strength, less size, then uh, you're going to need as much of an equalizer as you can get. And there's nothing that beats a handgun and everything else is less than, you know, right. and handguns aren't, you know, definitive stoppers, you know, they're not, they're not, there's no adage what people do after they're shot with a handgun. Usually the same thing they were doing before they were shot with a handgun because it's a handgun, you know, right. Uh, it's not, it's not a shotgun or a rifle, you know, human beings are, amazingly resilient and amazingly fragile too. It's an interesting dichotomy. 
but still in all, uh, the handgun is, is the definitive, you know, uh, game changer for women. It is. And, and everything else that caters to, I don't want to, you know, possibly kill someone or I don't want the responsibility. I don't want to have it used against me. You know, all those things, you know, um, you know, they just, they just get in the way of that ultimate reality. There's no better way. There isn't. And that includes taking martial arts for a woman to immediately empower herself than by buying, caring, and learning how to use a gun. That's that the, and, 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 you know, well, the whole convincing people of stuff, I mean, you know, how do you convince somebody how to lose weight? You can't. How do you convince someone how to quit smoking? You can't. So I, I just, I don't, I don't try and do that stuff. I mean, I, I, you know, it's not my, that's not within my purview. I'm not a motivational speaker. I'm not going to, you know, fluff you up or tell you stories or scare you or reframe things. You know, you, you make the decision and then I'll give, I'll give you the skills. I will. I love that. I'm just, I, I do remember those days. I do remember those days. I rarely have people who come to me who like are on the cusp of wanting to learn how to defend themselves. By the time they get to me, they're well, well down the road. You know, they've got right. several years of martial arts. They've been involved with guns for a while. And, and, you know, my name comes up in their education, you know, and um, they kind of work themselves to me. So, but I think, I think it's important on your, your question, I think it's important to say the right things to people. Here's one thing I would, I would counsel you on. Don't ever lie to them. You know, don't ever lie to them. Tell them the truth as you know it, you know, and the truth as I understand it, tasers are largely ineffective. They are. And, and buying one, I don't think is better than nothing. You know? Right. I don't. I, I agree with that. I just, I guess I've never felt like I've been in a place where I can say that because I haven't trained with them enough. So it's been a very like, it's been a stressful time <laughs> and I appreciate yeah, yeah. it but more than, you know, having yeah. come from all of your training. Well, don't, don't ever, don't ever have anxiety about telling the truth as you understand it right now with, you know, your time on the planet. And, and the, if the answer to someone is, I don't know, Tell them you don't know. I don't know. I can't make an informed. I can't really tell you. You should get a taser because I haven't. I haven't worked that much with them. Other people in the industry who I respect say this or that. You know, but um, you know, tell them the truth as you understand. That's all you can do. Right. The, be- the, the the only thing. The only thing you can do is be honest with people. You know, that's that's one of the reasons that all the bullshit self-defense courses for women where after four hours uh, a largely unathletic woman throws a largely ineffective strike on a guy in a padded suit and he gives a false reaction and falls down and some guy runs out and says you're a tigress you know and um <laughs> or and and here's and like i said before you know all those girls they know deep deep down that's bullshit they know it. And, and, I, and I think I said this before, that a dishonest win is far more insidious to a person's confidence 
than an honest loss. And the worst you can do with someone paying you for the truth and paying you to train them is be dishonest with them. You know what? You This is what you need to do. You need to lose 40 pounds. I know. And, and that, that hurts to hear, but the best thing you can do is lose 40 pounds because you're more likely to die of a heart attack than a mother. Okay? Yeah. The first thing you can do is improve your overall fitness and your wellness, and then you may, maybe you won't look as easy to mug. You know, that's a big part of it right there. So, yeah. you know, that's, that's, that's your first journey in self-defense, you know, is, uh, you know, defending your, your heart, defending your cardiovascular system, defending yourself from an early death. Yes, absolutely. That's such a good point. I think we've made a joke about that before about you know cardiovascular yeah. still be, still being the leader, but you know we're still here talking about self defense and whatnot. So I love that perspective coming from you, especially. That's awesome. And going back to something you said earlier um, in passing, I'm just going to flip my phone over. It keeps lighting up and distracting me. Um, something you said earlier about people being motivated and continuing to approach you. Um, even after they've been shot. Um, if you remember during one of the Sims, I, I think you may have been filming this one, which was embarrassing for me, but we'll move past that. Um, they, <laughs> I think it was Matt. I shot him once or twice and he kept coming towards me. And I think I looked at you like, what? I shot him. Like it's done. But he, and I kind of even like, I kind of even like let loose a little bit, like, okay, the Sim is done, but he kept walking towards me. And I even like, after all my years of training, like, of, you know, like here and there, just so spread out, I even like stopped with the simulation weapon and yeah, I shot him like, I don't know, three more times. And there's probably nothing better he could have done for me in that moment than like giving me that perspective. That was awesome. He took like, shots for me. That, 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 and that's why I, and that's why I tell people you can kind of do anything you want. If you want to, you know, honor their marksmanship. Cool. If you want to be a zombie and run through it, cool. Do something unexpected. Cause that's the reality. Yeah, I mean, I've only seen uh, personally one person go down immediately. And that was a guy I shot with uh, around a buckshot, and I caught that dude right in the neck. Um, and that was an instant one shot, like dude disappeared from my muzzle. Um, you know, everybody, every other person I've seen shot, you know, they are. Uh, Rarely do they just drop right then. Half the time they run off, you know. Right. So, you know, it's it, it's rare for for a single round, especially from a handgun. It's rare. I mean, unless you put it in the right place, you know, it's rare to see somebody go down with a single round. It is or two. That's good to know. Yeah. And I, I know we're kind of, we're deviating from our list of questions, but every time you say something, I think of another thing. Um, so Grace, yeah, if there's fun. something you want to say, just cut me off, man. Um, but I did want to ask, speaking of, um, <laughs> like reloading, do you ever recommend spare mags, like people carrying spare mags? What is your take on that? I usually don't, okay. uh, in, in this day and age with high capacity, handguns um that are like moderately sized you know i carry a quite often you know i'm not looking for trouble anymore chasing bad guys you know i've got to mind my own business and 
I feel comfortable with a, you know, SIG 365 XL. Okay. You know, we don't have a spare magazine for it. So I've got, well, with mine, I've got two, I've got a plus two on there. So I've got 14 rounds plus one, 15 rounds of the gun. I okay. feel that's a, that's a good, you know, I already used Tom Gibbons' language. That's a good two bad guy gun, three bad guy gun. Okay. You know, four rounds per guy. Yeah. That makes you sense. You know, compared to J-Frame, which is a one bad guy gun. You okay. Know. Um, but I think that's plenty. Um, some people, you know, carry a spare magazine largely because, you know, if you do something like damage the magazine or, you know, base pl- the base plate came off, um, historically you had another magazine that could go in there. Um, that because they need the extra rounds, but they, from the data that's available and citizen involved events, I, I've never heard of a single person requiring a reload. Okay. In a citizen event. Law enforcement event, yeah, but a citizen event, Okay. No. Like Tom's up like 80. That's a lot of people. 80 citizens who've been in gunfights who he's trained. That's a lot. And and all of that data is well documented as far as you know the distances they were at, the number of rounds fired. He hasn't had a single person um need a light to identify a problem. He hasn't had a single person who needed a magazine, an extra, you know, extra ammo beyond what was on the gun. Okay. So, and who is the individual you just mentioned? Tom Givens of uh, Range Master Training. He's uh, a senior to me. I think Tom is seventy years old now, but he's been in the business uh, forty-five years, doing firearms training around the country, outside right. of the country. Uh, has a uh, brand, uh, Range Master Training. That's his company. He used to have a fixed location a range in memphis and he was there for 20 plus years but tom's got a uh, a lot he's had a lot of students particularly around the memphis metro area which is a hyper violent place um involved in gunfights quite a few and uh i think he's had uh something like 78 wins and two forfeits as he calls it and the forfeits were people with it that did, didn't carry a gun that day and were murdered. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And you mean Memphis, Tennessee, right? Just like double checking. Memphis, Tennessee. Okay, very cool. That's like an hour from me. So I, it kind of felt too good to be true that it was a place so close. Um, he's no longer in Memphis. His he's actually right. moved to Florida, and the range is shut down. But that's where he has been for. That's where he was for for twenty okay. years. Tom's a roadshow like me. He travels all the time. Okay. So, but he teaches in uh, all over the South. So he's always in Tennessee or Arkansas or North Carolina, the Carolinas, Georgia. You know, he's all over. Very nice. Okay, that's really good to know. We'll have to look him up, and we'll link yes. his information as well. Well, I would say I would say going and, and training with Tom is is an essential part of your education. It still, to this day, you said he still trains. He just doesn't have a fixed location, right. correct? He's okay. a little show like I am. People host him, so. But I would look into I would look into Tom's uh, into Tom's training. He, he's a, a solid foundation, and he has a lot of data. Um, Tom does through his mindset lectures. Um, does a real good job of giving people permission to shoot bad guys. 
He does. He does an excellent job with that. That's a really great topic that I, I've tried to talk to my sisters about um, it, in general with self-defense. I've told them like the minute someone puts their hands on you, they forfeit all rights to like continue being a happy, happy, healthy, like human being. You have the right to like beat the shit out of them and, you know, take names kind of thing. Um, and I, I feel like I don't have a good, like, that's the most I can say, right? Like, that's just my, and I always say, this is my personal experience from like how protective I feel over my family, but I do have women ask me that question and I've never had like a resource to give them. So yeah, thank you for that. Sounds Okay. Sounds great. We'll have to add them to our calendar. Yes. We're starting like a training calendar of all the classes we want to do. I'll definitely go see Tom. I would. Okay. That sounds great. And actually speaking of uh, kind of traveling courses, um, for someone who is kind of new to training, like traveling to classes and training, where would you say they should start one just in general and two start within your program? as far as which, like the first class? Um, well, with me, uh, probably starting with ECQC, uh, the course that you took, uh, would be a, that'd be the best place to start. And then I, I have four publicly available courses, uh, ECQC, the ninth version of that, Edged Weapons Overview, which is the same class for the ninth. Um, the uh, Armed Movement and Structures course, which is a tactics course that I teach, a solo structure movement course, how to navigate an interior movement problem with a gun, and then uh, the vehicle combatives and shooting tactics class. Uh, and that is the uh, all of that stuff in and around cars with a large portion of that dedicated to fighting inside the car. Um, so with me, it would be ECQC as far as starting down the chivalrous path. Uh, as far as a general place to start with self-defense, who would I recommend? Um, I would recommend Ryan Hoover and Fit to Fight, probably as a great place to start with self-defense. Personally, I think Ryan uh, and Amber, his girlfriend, I think they have done the best job of creating, like, you know, the what was the, what was the island that the Amazon women lived on? What was the name of that island? Do you remember? In Wonder Woman? I do. Google it. I cannot tell. They've created that island. They have. The Amazon island. Yeah, they have they have they have created that island and uh they have like every girl there is a freaking badass. I mean every every single one. I, I think they've done you know as as far as having a fixed location and their business model honestly is um is is centered around women and and the, the whole place caters to women it's completely woman friendly you know um and those girls are tough they really are you know so that's amazing. you know and they, they figured out a long time ago if they made the gym um you know uh comfortable for women that men would come you know not but 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 it's not true vice versa you know if women come in and see you know, meatheads and it smells bad and bathrooms are, you know, grungy, you know, they, uh, it's like, eh, they won't go there. But yeah, I think Ryan, uh, at a fit to fight in North Carolina or any one of his affiliates, like that's an awesome place to start just generally for self-defense. I do. 
That's that's where I would that's where I would sense about. I think they do the best job. That's wonderful. Thank you. And yeah. we will we'll link all of that. I'm I'm taking notes as we speak, um, just to make sure I get everything right. Not that we're not gonna listen to this like, you know, a few hundred times. <clears throat> anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Grace, if you want to ask, I think you have the next question. It's up to you. Oh, yeah. Sorry. No, you're good. No. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what topics or perspectives do you think are not discussed enough in women's self-defense courses? Because um, I know earlier you were talking about like. Yeah, I think what Kristen just actually did a video on about dealing with harsh language and encroachment. Um you know, and, and and her experiences, and I didn't realize the number was this high, but because I don't focus exclusively on women, but she does, and you know, she's taken a lot of my content, uh, steered it a little bit differently uh, for women, and and focuses on women, and and one of the things that she does is she'll walk right up to a woman and just say the vilest, worst things imaginable and she says like every single one of them freeze you know and you know i think if you're not dealing with that uh and and the idea of an approaching stranger you know there are two ways it's going to happen you either get blindsided or you see it coming and if you see it coming the next question is do you read it correctly do you read it as hostile or benign so, you know, the, the dealing with that part as far as seeing it coming, I think that probably is not talked about enough in women's self-defense courses. And there's an overemphasis, especially in the time that's offered on, on physical solutions. If you have two hours with a woman, and a lot of these, you know, classes are like a couple of hours, you know, or four hours at the most, you know, two of that should be, a good two hours should be on how you deal with an approaching stranger, how you, you know, um, set boundaries verbally, you know, and the, the proper way to do that uh, and, and physical drill, not just talking about it, physical drill. Cause if you don't have physical drill for all the soft skills that everybody preaches about, then it's not really actionable. It's not going to come out. We can PowerPoint all day long and, going to ask coma, you know, and it's like, yeah, I've got this cool manual and you put it on a shelf and you never read it. It's not actionable, that physical drill, you know? So I think that part right there, managing space, dealing with encroaching strangers, that's, I don't think that's realistically and the verbal agility component uh, and the social literacy component I don't think that's addressed enough in those courses. I don't. That's really good to know. Managing unknown contacts was an eye opener. I felt like a badass right up into that moment <laughs> where I froze just in the simulation <laughs> practice. Do you want to go into a little bit about that? It's up to you how much you want to say about what you do with managing unknown contacts. Yeah, so managing unknown contacts is essentially a way um, it's a it's a three point strategy that consists of um, specific things that you say, specific ways that you move, and specific things that you do with your hands 
to try and maintain more space than average conversational distance to give yourself more reaction time. Essentially, is what it is. Um, and, and it's very specific as far as how we, you know, you've done the training. You know, how we do that, we, we show what average conversational distance looks like. We show what the implications for that are if someone initiates at close range. Um, we try and get people to be hypersensitive to minor changes in distance and then understand what a safe distance really is and, and how to and start setting boundaries, you know, verbally, uh, physically, things you do with your hands, things you say, the way you say it, you know, the volume that you say it at, not inviting people in, uh, but not threatening or challenging them either. You know, it's, it's uh, the goals and as far as what you're trying to accomplish. So yeah, it's a, um, and I, I, all that content is actually available online with a subscription to warrior poet society network. Uh, I've shot all of my content and it's like Hollywood level, video quality you know okay. um, it's uh i've, I've shot there, there are two series there's extreme close quarter concepts and then there is uh the reality of uh criminal assault which is the one i did last year with them and, and it covers most covers all the ecqc content that uh you saw and and trained that weekend so but particularly the managing no context portion that portion alone is something that's accessible to someone in their home, and they can hear me present it pretty much as I presented in class with all the same relevant physical demos. You know, so yes. that's a uh, that's a that would be an accessible, good place to start. I think Warrior Poet Society Network. I think a subscription is it's a streaming service, and I think the subscription is like nine ninety nine a month. It's like a like a Netflix like price point, something like that. That's amazing. And money well spent. It's, it's an investment at that point. That's awesome. Um, I actually really wanted to tell you this. So, um, I couldn't decide if I wanted to like say it when we were on the podcast, but I actually did get asked to go speak to a class of undergrads, which was horrifying. Usually people come to me individually (laughs) and they're like, Hey, can you talk to me about this? And I could talk forever about it. And I always ask them, you know, like what, motivated them to come speak to me. What specifically do they want to talk about? How much do they really want to know? Um, and I was asked to speak to a, I think it's a safety class and it's pretty much just a blow off class. And I learned that pretty quickly. I'm sorry. My neighbor's dog is barking. That's what that sound is. Um, but what ended up happening is I actually went over muck at the beginning of the PowerPoint for probably, I would say a third of the PowerPoint, I spent maybe two minutes on like my background in martial arts since I was 13 and, you know, had like a little slideshow to get them interested, like show them some action shots from my past. And, um, of course everyone was like on their computers at first. And I was like, can everyone shut their computers? Like, this is kind of awkward talking to your, you know, technology and not you. But after that, you know, everyone, you know, I had between like this and like this, like, you know, as far as engagement goes, the crowd, um, And at one point I actually had a few guys come to the front as my like partners for muck. And I I chose them based on um, how annoyed they looked. So I had one guy like straight up look at me and roll his eyes. (laughs) You look like you want to be up here. Come here. So 
And of course, Ashoka's hand was super respectful, wasn't trying to like hurt his feelings, but I did see him roll his eyes at me, so I was super motivated and not feel bad yelling at him. And we actually talked about cussing a little bit, and it was really Good. funny that I got the to wake up a little bit and the difference between exactly. you know cussing at someone and using cussing to set boundaries. And um while I was teaching, everyone got an amber alert. And I was just talking about how women are not always innocent. They are sometimes used as a partner in crime to approach you and get you to be disarmed. And um, while there's another person coming up and we were talking about the importance of walking and arcing and um, to get some periphery to maintain your distance. And this Amber Alert was about a woman in Little Rock, Arkansas, who was approached with her coworker by another woman who claimed to have lost her cell phone and didn't know how to get to where her parents were. And then she was kidnapped after that. So it was three girls total, one girl approaching two other girls. One of the girls walked away with the girl that approached them. And then the other friend looked for her and couldn't find her and reported her missing. She was found a couple days later alive and okay. But, um, everyone like their attention went from like kind of interested to like really interested. Cause it happened to like 10 minutes after I said it. And, um, I partly felt responsible putting that out into the universe, but secondly, it was, it was mostly like, just, I'm just, just kidding. Um, yes. but it, I was mostly just like shocked that that happened. And I was wondering why everyone went from like checking their phones to like focusing on what I was saying. And, um, later actually a guy from the class DM'd me cause I put the she shield podcast Instagram up there. And he was like, Hey man, I don't know if you noticed, but an Amber alert went off while you were speaking. And, um, it was really interesting. And then like lately when I've been training with women, we've been doing managing unknown contacts and before we start, and it's of course a really good review for me. Cause I, I don't have many people here that I can like, you know, ask if I can yell at them, if they can yell at me kind of thing, you know, in a very organic way. But, um, they are usually kind of like skeptical. And then once we do it, they're so glad we did. Cause the moment I start yelling at them, they completely freeze and they have like the same yeah. experience I did. And it's, it's kind of cool to see that repeat. I don't know. And like all play true. I think women need that experience and, and getting them through that experience. And, and like I said, Kristen just did a video about that, you know, on her Instagram. If, if you're not training that, you know, then you're really doing a disservice. And I, and I think most of those classes just don't really address that. You know, okay, he grabs you. That's where it starts. You know, something like that. Right. That makes sense. Okay. Good to know. And speaking of like grabbing and all that stuff, what level of experience would you say most people have when they are the attacker coming on to, um, like an innocent person on the street. I know that's like super general and probably hard to. They've probably yeah. done. It They've probably done it before. Okay. It's probably not the first time for them. It's probably your first time getting grabbed. It's probably not their first time grabbing someone. So, you, they probably have more experience than you do. It's a really good way to put that. Yeah. And and you're from what you've seen, um, like when you when you were um, an officer, was was that did that play true? Mostly, was there ever anyone that like oh, yeah. had a first? Yeah, I, I, yeah, I mean, I've had you know, I, I mean, I've had some fairly skilled bad guys, 
fairly skilled bad guy. They were good at what they did. I had an informant um, who is dead now, but I had an informant who was a um, his his whole thing was he uh, he robbed other dope dealers. He wasn't a dope dealer himself; he's an addict. But he robbed other dope dealers, and how he did it uh, and his effectiveness at doing it was he was good at it. I mean, he was good at his job, you know, he was good at uh, torturing drug dealers for information when they wouldn't tell them where, uh, you know, if he, if he home invaded, you know, a dope dealer and he wanted to steal his dope or steal his cash, you know, a lot of times are, you know, things were hidden and he had a complete kit, you know, kind of a torture kit uh, to, to elicit information. He, he was very effective at what he did. So, He's good at it. Wow. Yeah. That's incredible. So, yeah. Uh, he had, you know, I, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you how, I mean, just, you know, where people figure this stuff out, obviously by experience. Um, he, uh, he had a curling iron, uh, in his kit. And, uh, you know, if he, he, he would duct tape a guy to a, uh, a chair, you know, or duct tape him together, you know, and he pulled that dude's pants down and uh, the guy didn't tell him, you know, where the dope of the cash was, he'd plug the curling iron in. And uh, most of the time they would like immediately answer. And he told me he never had to put it in a dude more than once. Wow. So, wow. Wow. <clears throat> yeah. That guy, that guy worked for me. That yeah. guy was one of my snitches. That is so interesting. Honestly, I'm speechless. I don't know. Yeah. What the, so, the, wow. Yeah. What do you say to that, right? <laughs> what do you say to curl and I got, right? The, my, what do you follow? My, yeah. <laughs> What's the follow-up there? Right? My, my, point, my point is just they're, they have experience. They're good at what they do. Johnny, uh, Johnny Townsend was his name. He died in prison not too long ago. Um, you know, uh, he, he was good at what he did. He was. So, I mean, and I think that's the easiest way to think about it. If they grab you, they probably grab somebody else and they have more experience grabbing you than you have with being grabbed. You know? Love that. Yeah. That's really good to know. Someone's asked me that question before my unqualified self in any street fights, knock on wood. And uh, I've always said, just assume they're like a specialist in martial arts. Like you want to have enough training where you have some sort of equalizer, assuming that they have like this crazy amount of training. I, that's well, they have experience and, and largely, you know, a lot, most of these, a lot of these people, you know, who rob other people or, or, you know, sexually assault them. They've been sexually assaulted and robbed themselves, you know, and um, they, they understand what it's like on both sides. So, you know, that's, they, they have experience. They have practical working knowledge. Makes a lot of sense. Okay. Well, those were, that's so interesting to think about. (laughs) Sorry, I was just saying it's really interesting to think about because most of the time, most of the time when you uh, 
talking to somebody, I will, well, when I'm talking to somebody, I'll say, oh yeah, they're untrained. And then untrained recently until like literally this moment meant like unskilled, which to a degree they are, but you have also said like they have practical skill and knowledge and they have most likely done it before. Um, so it's just really interesting. To yeah. They haven't, they haven't stuff. been, you know, they haven't been in a dojo. They haven't been in a combat sports gym, but they've been mm-hmm. in County lockup. Uh, you know, maybe they were sexually assaulted in a foster home. You know, uh, they've been homeless. They lived in, you know, a crack house. You know, they've had things taken from them. Uh, you know, they, they took things from weaker people. Maybe they figured out ways as they got older to get stronger. You know, maybe they get into a uh, county jail on a charge and they're, they're eating better. And now they're hitting the weight room. You know, and uh, now they're connecting with older seasoned convicts. Everybody talks about what they do and how they do, and they, they get more dangerous. You know, I mean, they 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 most assuredly have practical experience. You know, and it, and what they do works. So, um, yeah, they like you said, not being formally trained in martial arts doesn't mean that they are not experienced, they're not seasoned, and and they're very, very good at what they do. You know, and that includes people not, you know, um, how many many bar fighters who don't commit crimes, you know, they don't rob people, but they just go out on the weekend and they drink and they're mean drunks, and uh, they're not professional punchers, you know, They they don't have a gas tank, but they're really good at setting up a sucker punch really good at it and kicking you into the floor. So yeah, it's, it's different. And, and like I said, you know, martial arts for the most part is just that it's artistry. It's not reality. And, and the vast majority of martial arts suck. They do. And I say that from doing, you know, a few decades worth of mostly silly martial arts. That's, that's really, Yeah. You mean people don't run around in their pajamas? Yeah. 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 <laughs> Love that. And um, I didn't have this written down, but I am curious. How do you feel about, I, I think we could probably speculate, but I just want to hear you say, like, how do you feel about traditional style martial arts? I think they can be effective if their their training modalities incorporate resistance and pressure. You know, it, it's it's really it's about how you train as much as what you train, you know, um, everybody, you know, when, when the UFC came out, everybody was like boxing, jujitsu, wrestling, boxing, jujitsu, wrestling, traditional martial arts suck. And then you started seeing like karate guys like Leoto Machia, you know, become UFC champions because, because the way they train and all of a sudden, whoa, karate works. So I think, I think, a lot of things can work if they're trained correctly. They're trained uh, with pressure and opposition and freedom of movement. I think that's a big part of it. Now, some things just aren't going to work. You know, some silly, you know, no touch knockouts, wave your hand in front of somebody and they fall down. Of course, that, that's not going to work. But there are, there are a lot of things that can work if they're trained correctly. That's, that's the hard part. And, in most places, they're they're training with you know dead patterns, you know things with no resistance. So I think that that to me is what 
that to me is the greatest gift of combat sports to self-defense is realistic training modalities. That's amazing. I, yes, I, I really appreciate the way you articulate things. I feel like it takes me an hour to explain that concept without, because I have some examples from when I did, I got my black belt in Musulwan and we did some sparring. Like it was like very point sparring style sparring, not very realistic. And um, we, the forms were so, they were great for functional strength building. Like my quads were so strong when I was in high school because of this. Um, But we would do some like, crazy like prey mantis thing i'd be like what are we doing here and they'd be like we're catching a punch and i'd be like all right are we though or is it are we just continuing continuing the tradition and with our faith right and i i would feel really bad asking that because i i loved the community and like loved a lot of things about it but at some point i i mean i switched over to muay thai and jiu-jitsu because i i just couldn't stand those like burning questions of like, what, what am I doing? Not even that, just not feeling confident in bad situations anymore, competent, even just like the basic like competency. So that's good to know. And then if you don't mind, I would love to know just, I, sorry, we're probably asking so many more questions. Um, okay. If there's a point where you need to go, just let us know. But I, the last question I have that I love your take on is purse carry. So concealed carry with a purse get this question all the time from women. Yeah. I mean, you know, purses are targeted quite often, you know, they're actually going for the purse. You know, a a, a man could go for you and not know you have a gun and, and, you know, not have access to your gun and the gun that may never come out. Um, If you carry your gun on your body, if you carry your gun in a purse, you know, ah, uh, well, he's always going for the gun if he's going for your purse. If you get separated from your purse, you know, um, that's the other problem, too. You know, is the gun is disconnected away from your body. I, I think it's niche, I, like carrying a pistol in a backpack or a, or a fanny pack or anything like that. I think all that stuff is is fairly niche, but but the gun should be probably on your body for the greatest security of the firearm, you know, the greatest accessibility by you to the gun. I mean, I, I, I know people have come out with gun purses, you know, um, and I've had some girls who have trained with me who have, um, like evaluated gun purses over years. And, you know, like from the time we can get it out with a guy, you know, that launches on you, uh, we haven't seen any real, successful deployments of, of a gun from a purse realistically. Maybe if she can see it coming and get it out in time, but reactively, you know, to, to, to a lunge or assault or whatever else, you know, even with, even with good distance, um, we, we see a lot of fumbling, especially when a woman starts to move and now she's moving and she's trying to look in the purse versus, you know, focus on this person. We had a, actually a fairly extensive, about a 20 minute video, Led by Gal, who uh, trained with me in Illinois quite a bit. She did a video about that several years ago and largely found purse carry ineffective. So I didn't yeah. even think to no. like try to train with it as an example. I've always told women just totally don't go for purse carry 
but I've never thought about like Grace and I, Grace is coming to visit this weekend. We should go get one from Academy and yeah, I mean, that's the best thing to do. I mean, go get one of those, go get one of those, um, you know, commonly, uh, sold, you know, to the public in bulk, you know, women's gun purses and, uh, do some videos. All right, I'm going to try and get this out. You know, uh, this is when I get blindsided, you know, this is when, uh, uh, the person is, you know, uh, a yard away, this is when the person is three yards away, when the person is five yards away, seven yards away, that kind of thing. You do that with a cert, you know, do it with a cert pistol or something like that, or an airsoft pistol. Okay. You know, put on Facebook, actually. Yeah, and just, uh, you know, show, hey, you know, this is what we found. That sounds like a lot of fun. We will definitely do that. Yeah, and that was, I think that would be something that, that women would, that, that'd be like good engagement, you know, for, okay, uh, yeah. You know, for other women, hey, you know, I know everybody likes to, you know, these gun purses. Let's let's see how well they work. Annette Evans did that with, um, she actually did that with the flashbang holster, you know. Um, are you familiar with the flashbang holster? I'm not. It's like a bra, it's like a bra holster. It goes up underneath, okay. it clips uh, to a bra. And Annette actually, uh, she's trained with me quite a bit. She actually uh, wore the flashbang uh, in class, used it on the range, and then she used it in the evolutions. And she has jujitsu, so she can get away with a lot. But, um, you know, we just wanted to see if, you know, uh, uh, how it would work. You know, were, were, were there any problems with it realistically? You know, could we, uh, could we put it through its paces? And, uh, you know, she did, she did fine with that holster. It looks funny, you know, immediately uh, you're like, yeah. what is that? Because it's very non-traditional. It's very different. Um, I don't think it's better than belted carry or, or waist carry, especially now with the Enigma. <laughs> but um, it's it's an option. We, we certainly proved that, yeah, it can work, you know, and she put the work in. So, yeah, I, I think – you know, taking all those products and, and trying them out and, and documenting what you find out, you know, in your work, like that's a good thing, especially in the, in the market that, that is, is, you know, targeting women because they don't know, you know, right. they don't know. So show, right. take all that crazy stuff, show them. I love that. Definitely going to do that now. Yeah. Probably going to spend way too much yeah. money, but that's okay. <laughs> it's a, it's a tax right <laughs> off. Just kidding. Totally get it. I'm, totally get it. <laughs> I've noticed if you, I've written a few brands and I've told them I genuinely want to like test their things on the mats. And um, a lot of them have been really receptive and have sent me things and I've been able to test them. We're going to work with the Alexo Athletica leggings soon and, see how okay. well they hold up. Um, and then okay. lately we also tested the discrete carry concept clips and no belt. So just using the clips on jeans and it worked really well. It stayed the entire time and we did some yeah. pretty vigorous stuff. Um, my pants fell down a little bit, but DCC. that was about the worst. <laughs> What'd you say? They make good stuff. DCC, uh, yeah. D, the DCC clips. I like those yeah. clips quite a bit. Okay. They work well. And you, you'll T clips. What are your thoughts there? Do you, have you ever messed with them? Yeah, I'm not a fan. Okay. I haven't seen those real hold real well. Uh, and at least okay. my course work, 
Okay. You know, um, yeah, I, they're probably along the same line as the plastic clips that that don't hold up well either. The only okay. clip I've seen that worked well and I would consider, you know, duty worthy or carry worthy would be the DCC clips. Those are the only ones. That's good to know. I just got a new holster for my F series, my Walther F series, and I went ahead and got the Ulti clips on like a, a tier one set up just to test them out because I have a lot of women ask me about DCC versus Ulti and I've told I just always tell them I have never tried the Ulti and like I finally got that question like the 10th time and I was like all right I'm just gonna try them out is there anything else today that you would like to talk about or if a message you kind of want to send to our female listeners or just our listeners in general um probably you know uh this is a you know, it's a very, it, it's an intensely personal decision to, to start taking responsibility for yourself. And, and ultimately, you know, the onus is on you to protect yourself and, and you, you have to decide your own worth, you know, and, and how much, you know, your life is worth and how much your well being is worth and what kind of investment are you to make in that, um, I don't think self-defense training should make people more paranoid. I don't think it should make them more frightened. I'm not a fan of that either, but uh, it's, it's a, the, the world's not getting any safer, you know? So, um, and that's, in fact, we've seen a fairly sharp uptick in the past three years in, in personal violent crime, even though overall like murder rates are declining, but we've seen a really significant uptick in felonious assault, sexual assault, and things like that. So, you know, at the end of the day, um, it's uh, it's your life, and, and you have to figure out what that's worth and figure out how much you want to invest in that. You know, some for some people, you know, self-defense is like a fire extinguisher. You know, they, they buy that, they look at it, and they put it in their, uh, they put it in their, their, you know, closet and, kind of forget where it's at after, you know, a couple of months, you know, it's there if I need it. So uh, other people, I mean, it's, it's their lifestyle, it's their hobby. You know? So I don't know. You have to decide where you fall in between, but at, at the end of the day, the only person that's going to protect you is you. And you have to make that decision on what you're worth. Thank you so much. That's, that's lovely. Yeah. And I, that yes, makes me you. think of, um, just last little thing. Um, I keep saying that this is a truly the last thing. Um, but uh, women that say like, <laughs> you know, I, I can get away, I can call the police and they'll get there in time. And I don't think they've necessarily outright said that. I think it's always been like a kind of like a support to their argument of, Implied. yes, of like, I, I don't need, that's kind of paranoid for me to need to prepare like that for people that kind of think that way. And not to say the police are not helpful. And I always try to always try to be careful with how I word things because I do not mean that they're not helpful. They can just only get there so fast. Like they are human. They're not trans, you know, they can't uh, teleport. So what would you say to someone maybe who has that mentality or kind of uses that as a kind of defense to not training or protecting themselves? I, I would say that in my 21 years as a police officer, I didn't stop a single crime from happening. 
I didn't, I, I, and, and if I did prevent crime, I never knew about it by my presence, but I never prevented crime from happening. I was always there afterwards, you know, with, um, a victim documenting what happened and trying to bring that person to justice. But, but, and that's largely what police officers do. Police officers don't prevent crime and they don't protect people. That's not what, that's not what they do. I, I, I can't think of any crime I prevented. I prevented more crime from happening, you know, by putting bad guys in jail, um, but right. but preventing a crime from happening to a person like in progress, not a single one, not a single one. And I spent I spent my career in enforcement, you know, hunting right. bad guys, going specifically going out, not working traffic, not working. You know, I, I worked dope and violent crime my entire career, and I there you know there was a single thing we pre- prevented from happening in the moment. So, yeah. Um, the only person that's going to protect you is you. That's really powerful. Thank you. I I feel comfortable ending there. I Man, I will have to listen to this a few times to even absorb all of the amazing information. Um, unless you would like to say anything else, or Grace, if you have anything... No, I just it's, thank you. It's been an honor to like just learn from you, you know, like over essentially yeah. FaceTime. It's, this has been amazing. Well, thank you, thank you so I much. appreciate you having me on, introducing me to your audience. And it was uh, it was time well spent for me. I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. And we'll just end out our uh, show here, and then um, we can say goodbye off camera, or off camera, off recording. There we go. We say a lot of things that we say like off air all the time. And that means live. We just roll with it. But anyway, thank you all for listening. If you, if you all would like any exclusive content, you can become a Patreon. We have a few tiers um, that involves stickers, thank you notes, and many episodes. If you guys would like updates, follow us on our Instagram at SheShieldPod or email us SheShieldPod at gmail.com. Thank you to Sageta Gear, our lovely sponsor. You can use code SHESHIELD10, S-H-E-S-H-I-E-L-D, the number 10, for 10% off your order. And then everything we've mentioned in this episode, along with Craig Douglas's information and Shivworks website, will be linked in the show notes, which are the notes below the title episode. Otherwise, stay safe. And bring snacks. Bye. Bye.